Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Would you join me this morning in Colossians 4? Colossians 4, we're going to be in verses 2 through 6. And as we begin the conclusion of our series of the book of Colossians, we want to do so with, an, with a quick reminder that everything that we've heard from chapters 1, 2, and 3 now begins to tie into a beautiful bow in chapter 4. So we don't want to take chapter 4 without remembering what we've heard in previous chapters. Have you ever owned something that was worth more value than you even knew. When I was a kid, my grandmother used to send me and my brothers every year for Christmas entire a year's set of Topps Major League Baseball cards. One year I received a box and in that box were a lot of future Hall of Famers cards. The most expensive card in that set was the rookie card for none other than Barry Bonds, arguably one of the greatest players to ever play the game of baseball. And this is the exact card. Well, this is, this is a Canadian version of the Topps version that I had. But Bonds is not currently in the Hall of Fame for reasons that are beyond our interest this morning. But back in those days, you would get a magazine that would tell you the value of the cards. And maybe some of you remember those days. I'd go to the store by my house, I'd buy the magazine, I'd, I'd go to certain year and certain set of cards, and I'd scroll down, and there I'd find the value of the card. Well, I, I didn't know much about value in those early days of my life, so I took what was what I knew to be an important card, I took that Barry Bonds card along with others, and I took it everywhere with me. Everywhere. It was an ex- worth incredible amount of money, unbeknownst to me, and but I took it and I used it as a bookmark at school. I'd put it in my backpack. I'd carry it in my lunchbox. I'd even take it to church with me in my pocket. I'd beat it up. It was bent. It was folded. It was nowhere near the value that it was. And the problem was I simply lacked in my youthful ignorance. I lacked an understanding at that point of how valuable this card would be. Today, if you went on eBay or you went on a website and tried to buy the card, you'd buy it anywhere from $350 to $500 for that one baseball card. Yet, silly Dustin Moore ruined it. I lacked the understanding of the value. So it is often in our Christian life. We receive the gospel as a gift, like I received those baseball cards, which, by the way, I have none of them anymore. Little did we understand the significant value of the gift of the gospel. For many of us, the gospel of Jesus Christ was a one, two, three plan to get to heaven. For us, it was about Jesus forgiving all of our sins. It was about Satan being defeated. It was about being washed in the blood. And it is all of that. But here is what I've tried to stress to you through Colossians. The gospel does not just give us a future. It gives us a present. The gospel is not just about the promise of future glory, but it's about present power today. 
It's not just about a future home, but it's about present hope. It's not just about future worship on streets of gold and and mansions and all these things that are often talked about. But the gospel is a truth that right now gives you a brand new purpose. The gospel gave you new life, and therefore, the gospel has made you a new you. Colossians 3.10, Paul said, and have put on the new man. The new man. Many of the battles that we have fought this week, all of us, we have fought these battles with identity, with value, with security. We fought battles with peace and joy. And all of this is actually rooted in the bigger problem. We simply lack an understanding of our new life in the gospel. All of us. The gospel gives you purpose in Christ that solidifies your identity. It allows you to understand your value. It secures your heart. It allows you to embrace peace when the world can come nowhere near it. And it allows you to overflow with joy. And I've got some news for you today. The more that a Christian pushes against that, the more frustrated and agitated they become in this world. Because when we push against the fullness of Christ, we are basically saying that the gospel is not big enough in our eyes, so we have to then give ourselves to a thousand other grand and good pursuits to find significance and purpose. And inevitably, listen, inevitably, those purposes fail us. And we're left joyless. Truth be told, every one of us wrestles with finding that purpose. But the truth is as well that the purpose is found actually in the pattern of the gospel. Listen very carefully. When I say the pattern of the gospel... What I mean is the pattern of the gospel is death and resurrection. Death to some purpose that we have dreamt up and pursued, and life in our new purpose in Christ. We've got to be willing to embrace death and resurrection. There are some things that Jesus is calling us to die to, so that he can raise us to bigger purposes. Are you willing to die to it? Are you willing to die to it? In our passage today, Paul tells the Christians in Colossae what their purpose now is in their new life. God has given each of us the same glorious purpose. And it's laid out so clearly for us. So clearly. So practically. The question for us is, will we give ourselves? Will we give ourselves to the one that has freed us from the bondage of trying to create our own purpose and live out of some kind of broken identities? Will we live out of our new self and in our new purpose? I want you to see today in Colossians 4, 2 through 6, Paul's definition of our new life through Christ. This new life is both personal or individual. It's for me and for you and it's corporate. It's for us. We live out our purpose through the church. 
through the church. Now the Christian's whole purpose is connected to the gospel that saved them. It's connected to the gospel that saved them. Your purpose and my purpose is the glory of God. It is to be the glory, it, it used to be, back before this, it used to be the glory of me, the glory of you, the glory of us. Such an empty life that was. And so Paul says, your life now is so much the, about the glory of God that in 1 Corinthians 10, he said, Whether you, therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, in the most menial of your life's task, do it all to the glory of God. The gospel's greatest aim is the glory of God. And so therefore, our purpose is the glory of God. And so Paul gives us three ways in which we live to the glory of God. And they're about as elementary, Sunday school level truths as you're going to get. They're simple. And in fact, for some people, they might be a little underwhelming. But I'm going to tell you. This is the great life before us. This is the great life before us. I want you to see today, first off, I want you to see what Paul says in verse 2. He calls them, he calls the Colossian Christians to prayerful, to be prayerful and watching. Prayerful and watching. Look at verse 2. Continue, he says, in prayer. Continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. The life of the Christian is laid before us. After all that Paul told them about the fullness of Jesus, the sufficiency of Jesus, the fullness of Christ now indwelling the believer, being complete in Christ, the roles of husbands, wives, children, workers, bosses, all of that, he comes down and he says, but let's not muddy this water. Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. And watch in the same. It simply means that we are to stay awake to something. The same tells us that Paul is directing their watchfulness to their prayerfulness. It appears that the Colossian Christians had grown somewhat, they had grown somewhat sleepy in their call to be prayerful Christians. They'd gotten a little lethargic about prayer. Christians and churches are to be places of continual prayer, prayerlessness, Prayerlessness in our lives should be of significant concern to us. Lucas said it like this. He said, it is in a prayerless church. It is in a prayerless church that the enemy can best do his work of disruption. It is in a prayerless church where the men aren't praying together and the ladies aren't praying together and husbands and wives aren't praying together and families aren't praying together and churches aren't praying together that the enemy can do his work of disruption. See, prayer shows that we are alert to God's working around us. Don't miss that. Prayer shows that we are alert to God's working around us. It shows that we are deeply concerned about His mission in the world. And Paul has shown them his concern for God's purpose and mission in them. He, Paul, and those that are with him in prison have not stopped praying for the Christians in Colossae. Remember that? Verse 9 of chapter 1. For this cause... We also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you. So the man who, called, who said, hey, I'm praying for you, says to them, continue in prayer. He's pleading with them to not stop praying. 
Prayer has a strengthening effect on weary Christians. Prayer has a strengthening effect on weary Christians. We aren't to stop. Jesus said it like this in Luke 18. He said, and he spake, or Luke's writing this, but speaking of Jesus, and he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Often what keeps us from praying is doubt. I have heard people say often, and you have thought it, I feel like my prayers aren't doing anything. I feel like they're just kind of stopping at the ceiling. Can I just be rather direct about this? We don't pray. We don't pray because our prayers do things. That's me-centered. We pray trusting the one who does things. We pray to have a continuous dialogue with the God who is working. We pray because it deepens our dependence on God and lessens our dependence on us. We don't pray because God does whatever we demand. We pray because we depend on God. And we are always to be depending on God. So therefore, we actually can have a posture of prayer always. That's why Paul says so succinctly in 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. We're to continue praying. We're to continue praying for each other. Over in Ephesians 6, verse 18, Paul said, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication, prayers made on behalf of another for all saints. For all saints. I want to stop here for a moment. And I just want to ask you, in the midst of everything going on, have you become weary in praying? Have you become weary in praying? Is your response panic, anxiousness, frustration, or prayer? Continue in prayer. Friends, very simply, let's continue in prayer. Let's continue in prayer. And as we continue to pray, it is to be, Paul said, with praise, with thanksgiving. He said that there in verse number 2. And watch in the same, in prayer, the same, Watch in the same with thanksgiving. Now, the, this gratitude that Paul speaks of has been central part of the book of Colossians. We've argued this already, that mature Christians are thankful Christians. Five times, this is now the sixth time in the epistle that Paul has talked about thankfulness. In verse 3 of chapter 1, he said, We give thanks to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Thanks, prayer. In verse 12 of chapter 1, giving thanks unto the Father. Verse 7 of chapter 2, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Colossians 3 and verse 15 said, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Verse 17, verse 17 told us at the end, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. The sixth time in four chapters that Paul calls the people to be thankful. Why? Well, I could talk to you about the growth of gratitude in a Christian who is saturated in the Word and the Gospel. But listen carefully. A praying Christian is a thankful Christian. A thankful Christian 
is in turn a praying Christian. Our lack of prayer is a lack of thankfulness. And our lack of thankfulness is a lack of prayer. You see, the two are deeply linked. Why is that? Well, why would you thank God if you were not dependent on God? Why would you thank Him? And why would we be dependent on God if we were not grateful to God? See, when I diagnose in my heart my unwillingness to pray, it is going to always be linked to a lack of thankfulness. And a lack of thankfulness diagnosed is always going to be connected to a lack of prayer and dependence on God. And so what is our new life? What is our new life? Very simply, it's to continue in thankful prayers. Continue in thankful prayers. Paul goes on to talk to them more about prayer. He asks them to pray for him, for them. And in so doing, they can be partners in the gospel. So the, the first aspect of our new life is to be prayerful and watchful. The second part of our new life is to be partners in the gospel. Partners in the gospel. There's two ways in which Paul tells them that they can be partners in the gospel. I want you to see it in verse 3. He says, with all, praying also for us. That God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now there's a lot of really good, there's a lot of really good doctrine here. He, what he does here, here's the prayer that Paul's requesting, that's very specific. Pray for us that God would open doors to speak the mystery of Christ. Now this is interesting. This is interesting because we, we would think that Paul's got this all backwards, right? We would be like, hey guys, pray for me that I can be released from prison. <laughs> right? Pray that my life gets better. Pray that the problems stop. Paul says no. He does not ask them to pray for an easy road. He asks them to pray that where he is, that where he is, in what state he's in, in what place he's in, what environment he's in, in what tribulation and trial and persecution he's in, pray that he would be effective with the gospel. We are so Western that we're praying for things to stop and get better for us. And Paul says, pray that where you are, pray that where you are, you'd be ready with the gospel. He invites them to partner with him and his team in the work of the gospel. Praying for him that a door of utterance literally means an opportunity to communicate. An opportunity to communicate. Pray that I would have an opportunity to communicate the gospel. Praying always, he says in Ephesians 6.18, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And I read this already. And then in verse 19 he says, And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador. Listen to this. Notice what he says. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. What kind of an ambassador is in prison? What kind of ambassador can do his work in prison? And Paul says that therein, that therein, in my bonds, 
I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. See, both in Colossians and in Ephesians, Paul tells the listener and the reader that, and hear me, I told you, our purpose is connected to the gospel. It is for this very purpose, the, both the preaching and speaking the gospel. Listen, that Paul is in prison. It is for the gospel's purpose that he is in prison. The gospel was both the cause of Paul's imprisonment and the purpose for it. The door of utterance Paul is praying for is not outside the prison, but it's in it. It's in it. He had determined to speak the mystery of Christ wherever God took him. Not only does he want them to pray for opportunities, but he wants them to pray that he'll make it manifest as he ought to. The gospel needs to be shared directly and lovingly and boldly. And Paul wants them to pray that he will share it rightly when the door of utterance is available. I want to stop here. And I want to ask you. I don't belittle problems. I'm not interested in doing that. We all have them. Have you prayed that whatever bonds you are in today, whatever they are, that you would make known the mystery of Christ as you ought? Are you trying to get out of the bonds instead of embracing that God might have put you there for the purpose of making manifest Christ? Not only does he want them to pray, but he tells them, he's, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, he's compelled to preach the gospel. He said in verse 16, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for the necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe un is unto me if I preach not the gospel. There's not an option here. Paul has no option. I have no choice. My purpose is to preach the gospel. He wants to speak it rightly since he's going to speak it. And he's asking them to pray, to be prayer partners. So I want to encourage a couple quick application points here for us. Can I ask you selfishly? Do you pray for those who preach the word? One of the ways that you in your life and me in my life can partner we could partner in the gospel is to pray for those who communicate the word of God. Do you? Did you pray this morning the word of God would be preached faithfully? Not just here, but around the world. Have you prayed for it? Partner in the gospel. This is, this is part of your good life. You get to partner in this, in this purpose. But then secondly... I don't want to distance this so much from us. Do you pray that God will open doors for you to be able to share the gospel with somebody? To make Christ manifest. And that you'll have the wisdom to say the things in the way that you should say them. And I believe if you prayed this, God would open the doors for you to make Christ known. What is often a concern is that if we do pray, that we do pray, that we'll ignore or move past the opportunities and we'll make some other message known. I'm going to be direct. I'm going to be pointed for a moment. It grieves me. It grieves me on a week where people are clearly looking for answers. Too many Christians have been too silent. 
too silent. The Lord is giving us a door of utterance. He's giving it. He's putting it in our lap. Are we willing to make manifest Christ? To preach Him? To teach Him? To share Him? To tell somebody, I'm not rattled because my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. And I'm glad to share the gospel with somebody who's all, all cattywampus about everything going on. Are we willing? Are we unfazed? Because our message is one that is better. It's better. Our new life is still ever simple. Pray and partner with God in the gospel work. Pray and partner with God in the gospel work. But then there's a gospel work done not just in how we speak, but how we live towards unbelievers. You see, our gospel is both preached in word and in deed. And the word of God matters. The gospel matters. It matters so much that it affects our living. So the third part of our new life is not just that we're to be prayerful and watchful and that we're to be, that we're to be partners in the gospel, but we're to be principled in living. Principled in living. Notice in verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. The statement to walk or regarding walking in the New Testament is always in reference to a practical, normal Christian life. As you would walk and live, so do. Let your life be lived wisely towards those that are without. Who are those that are without? Unbelievers. And we are told, listen, we're told to redeem the time. Simply to make most of the moments. To make most of these moments. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Seems to be a misnomer. What do you mean, redeem the time because the days are evil? We want this time to go away because the days are evil. No, we want, to take a, we want to take full opportunities that God has given us in the evil of the day to make Christ known. That's what it means to redeem the time because the days are evil. To make the most of this opportunity because the darkness is surrounding and so our light is brighter. The life of a Christian, the life of a Christian should be one of wisdom. Why is that? Because he who is wise is in you. He who is all wise is in you. And so we're to be wise knowing that the unbelievers in our life, that know we are believers, are watching our walk. They're watching our life. And Paul in Ephesians said, we can do so as fools. We can do so as fools. We can look as foolish as the world can look. Or we can live as wise. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul said, but if our gospel be hid, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. It's hid to them that are lost. For most people, kudos to some of you that have avoided social media, for most people, our walk has never been more public than it is now. 
our life is more public than it's ever been. The walk that is wise in the wisdom of Christ also comes out in our conversation. Literally, in what we say. So that's why in verse 6, not only does he say walk in wisdom, but he connects that wisdom to how we speak. Notice verse 6, he says, let your speech be all way with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. The new man has a new lifestyle and he has a new mouth. Got a new mouth. And again, we connect a lot of Colossians and Ephesians because they're both written at the same time frame. They go out from Roman prison at the same time. And so Paul's dealing with similar situations. And so in Ephesians 4.29, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Christians know this. Listen, words matter. Words matter. And words about, please hear me, words about and two other image bearers matter. Let me say that again. Words about and two other image bearers matter. Grace overflowing in our hearts means grace overflowing in our speech. And our speech should always be with grace. And then Paul uses a phrase that's very culturally relevant to the first century. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. But in those days, it was normal to say, that person has salty speech. That person has salty speech. We would say, that's a little salty, that seems a little rude. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying that somebody with salty speech is somebody who speaks with substance. Their words are witty, encouraging, truthful. So let me stop here for a moment and say this. Christians really need to reclaim. They need to reclaim a Christian ethic in how they talk and in what they post on social media. I've never been more grieved than I am to watch Christians speak ill of political figures, calling them clowns, idiots, dumb. It's grieving. And there is no place for it in the life of a believer. None. That is walking as fools when the world needs to see our wisdom. We need to recognize that we're a new people, friends. We're a new people. We aren't to be mocking, scorning, ridiculing, gossiping. What you say matters. What you post and share matters. And if you remember that you're new in Christ, you're a part of this big and precious family, you might think a little more cautiously about what you say to and about someone. You might think a little more cautiously. I've made it my mission to not have a mission to shred Christians on social media for what they say. I have made it my mission to oftentimes keep scrolling (laughs) and go, good night, why would you do that? 
Not because I'm better, or you might think the same, and it's not because you're better. It's because our speech is to be with grace. It's to be with grace. It's to be truthful. It's to be loving. It's to be encouraging. It's to be edifying. I'm not, I'm not interested in making defensive positions about what other people post, what other people say. I'm not interested in arguing some of the political hot-button things that you want to argue about. Today, I'm not interested. I'm simply saying, let's reclaim a Christian ethic on how we talk. Let's reclaim it. This entire passage is about gospel communication. Gospel communication. We communicate with God in prayer regarding His gospel. We partner with God in prayer for the gospel preached. And that we communicate the gospel too. And lastly, just like my sermon today is a sermon on the gospel, your life is a sermon on the gospel. And the gospel is this big. It's this big. And this is the whole point of Colossians. You hear me? In a world where Christianity was outlawed, Paul has the audacity to write these words. You go, well, it's going to get worse for Christians. It was worse for Christians then too. And the message was still the same. I'm not hopeful for worse. I don't want worse for my children. I don't want worse for you. But I know this. It was bad then. And Paul said, listen, what you say about Caesar, be careful. Let your speech be always with grace. Speak truthful. Call, call something what it is without calling someone what you think they are. Let your speech be always with grace. Season with salt. The gospel is big enough to cause you to pray. It's big enough to consume your life and to share the message with another. It's big enough to shape your view of people. It's big enough to shape the way you live. And I live walking in wisdom. It's big enough. The gospel's big enough to care about the unbeliever. It's big enough to change how you speak. The blood of Jesus Christ, my friends, is powerful enough to radically transform every one of us so that we can communicate fully our new life in Christ. How does that happen? Well, it happens because Jesus is the ultimate communication to us. See, our primary response to him, our primary response to Jesus is to allow our hearts to overflow in communication from him. Our hearts then flow back to him in continual prayerful devotion and thanksgiving. The reason they don't flow to him is because we don't spend enough time letting his words flow to us. It is from that, him to us, us to him, that we then flood the world with the gospel in clear speech, in grace, salty words, this is proper communication for hearts filled with the fullness of God. Hearts filled with the fullness of God. I don't know where a message like this applies to every life. I, that's beyond my pay grade. That's the Spirit's work. 
It's my job to tell you the word. It's my job to call all of us as a body to obedience to this call. At the same time, it's my job to say this. Remember what I said at the beginning? The gospel is not just heaven. The gospel gives you tools for 2021. For this moment. For right now. Access the gospel. Communication from him to us. Our communication to him. Our communication out. Our communication out. If you don't know Christ as Savior, He is the only hope. He is the only hope. It's always been Him. It's always been Him. Christian, share Him with somebody this week. Pray for an open door. Pray for an opportunity. Use your words carefully. Use them wisely. Use them lovingly. This is our new life. This is our new life. Let's pray. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.